Hey there, and welcome to episode 41 of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith. So for this week, we have IoT and healthcare, ICS malware, AMD vulnerabilities, PayPal data sharing, steering wheels falling off, and much more. All right, so first up, we have something we haven't talked about in a while on the podcast, and that is the insurance industry and IoT. So apparently Lexus Nexus did a survey, and what came out of that survey was that 70% of U.S. insurance providers said that gathering IoT data is important to their organization's insurance strategy. However, only 21% of those had actually had an IoT strategy in place. And then one of the other things, or one of the other um, statistics that came out of that survey was that only 7% of U.S. insurers said that they have the human and technology resources required to use IoT in decision-making. So apparently the um, IoT, or the insurance industry is pretty far behind everybody else when it comes to actually taking advantage of of IoT and all the uh, things they can do with it. But to be honest, anytime anyone mentions the insurance in, in insurance industry in combination with IoT, um, it's actually a little scary because when we're talking about IoT, we're talking about you know connected devices and and lots of data and that sort of thing. So. Um, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast in the past. I mean, I've, I've got this vision in my head of at some point, and this will probably be by default. Um, the insurance companies will probably strike some kind of deal with auto manufacturers where they are constantly monitoring drivers. So, you know, you go over there's five miles over the speed limit, and then next thing you know, you get a text message saying, hey, um, here, uh, you know, just to bring this to atten- your attention, um, your insurance rates have gone up five bucks because you went five miles over the speed limit. So, and they'll do this all in real time. Now there already, there are already are devices um, that the insurance company has been peddling that you can connect into the diagnostic port on cars and that'll kind of track your driving um, under the premise of, you know, if you're a good driver, you'll get cheaper insurance rates and that sort of thing. So, but anyway, but I think at some point it's going to be by default, you know, that you go to buy a car and signing up for the, Insurance real-time monitoring might just be part of the package. So, um, yeah, I hope that doesn't come to pass, but um, it could be rather interesting if it does. And then I'm sure most of you guys have seen this story already where a Uber self-driving car killed a woman out in Arizona. So I've seen some stories where it said um, after some of the police investigations that even if there had been a human at the wheel, um, the way this... A uh, woman kind of stepped out in front of the car, even with a human driver, they wouldn't have been able to avoid it. But I think I actually saw a story today claiming the opposite, where if a, a human driver had been behind the wheel, they would have been able to stop. So, um, you know, who knows um, what it'll ultimately turn out to be as, you know, what the cause of this accident was, whether it actually could have been avoided or not. Uh, but we'll see. But I think the reactions that come out of this are going to be quite interesting um, you know, what, will there be knee-jerk reactions and there'll be this um, the government to put regulations in place? Are there going to be any lawsuits that come out of that? And then, you know, depending on what the lawsuit is, you know, how, what kind of um, 
uh, verdict might come out of these cases, court cases, as far as, you know, who's actually responsible in the event that someone gets killed by a self-driving car, you know, is it the, is it the, the company that owns the car? Is it the people who write the software? You know, if there's some glitch in the software and it causes, causes somebody to get killed, um, are is the software developer going to be responsible? Um, anyway, um, should be interesting to see what kind of, um, fallout or whatever comes from, uh, the first person, I guess, in the U S to be killed by a self-driving car, but, uh, we'll see. Okay, so next up we have something, and I thought I'd mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I think I missed it. Um, I know I'd mentioned that NIST had put forth a document, a draft document, where they were trying to put some standards around IoT security and so forth. Um, but it looks like the UK government has also done that. So they've released a paper called Secure by Design, and they're attempting... Um, I mean, it's another attempt similar to NIST to try to put some security standards in place around IoT and help um, secure those devices better. So what they've come up with is something they're calling um, the code of practice. And they're trying to put these um, categories, if you will, into place that will try to help device manufacturers, IoT service providers, mobile application developers, and retailers. So the areas they've come up with in this particular document are no default passwords, implement a vulnerability disclosure policy. And the thing with these things, they don't necessarily like go across all four of those groups. Like for instance, the no no default passwords, they've got that as primarily applying to device manufacturers. Implement a vulnerability disclosure policy, they have that applying to device manufacturers, IoT service providers, and mobile application developers. So all the categories they put forth um, they follow it up with what or who it primarily applies to. So the other ones they've put out there are keep software updated, securely store credentials and security sensitive data, communicate securely, minimize exposed attack services, ensure software integrity, ensure that personal data is protected, make systems resilient, resilient to outages, monitor system telemetry data, make it easy for consumers to delete personal data, make installation and maintenance of devices easy, and then finally validate input. So those are the 13 areas they put forth in this document. And it's something as part of our 2018 work on the OWASP IoT project, we're actually considering these categories as we work on a new top 10 list. So either way, it's interesting that these groups are trying to, they're at least trying to do something and help out the security around IOT devices. And then this next story I thought was interesting and I thought I would just throw it out there. So it's a car security camera called the Owl. So there's already many different brands of car security cameras out there. I mean, a lot of them are for, you know, putting on dash cams or whatever. Um, I don't know if there's that many that actually are security focused towards the inside of the car, but apparently this one actually takes video outside the car and inside the car. And I think it's it constantly, it's like, you know, it's constantly recording um, 24 hours a day. Um, I'm sure it probably saves up to the cloud and you can pull it back down and look at it or whatever. And it may have motion detection or whatever. Um, but either way, it looks kind of cool if you're interested in having some kind of security camera in your car um, that basically looks like it runs nonstop 
or at least as much as the, um, I'm sure it has some kind of memory on it, as much as a memory card to hold. But anyway, it's called the Al Car Security Camera. Um, looks pretty interesting. All right, so what would a podcast be without mentioning Amazon two or three times? And it almost seems like I could do an entire podcast on Amazon at times, given all the different news stories that come out about it. So in this story, Amazon is hiring more developers for its Alexa devices than Google is hiring for everything else. So that's pretty impressive. And given how quickly Alexa seems to be advancing these days, um, yeah, they must be throwing a lot of resources at it. I sure wish uh, Apple would do the same thing with Siri and you know get it back up to speed with uh, Alexa and Google Home. And then we have a story about a topic we haven't talked about in a while on the podcast, and that has to do with healthcare and IoT. So there was an interesting report in regards to the policies, processes, and technologies, and how they relate to IoT for healthcare. And basically, the article is talking about how experts are worried about cyber criminals targeting many of the IoT devices, the hundreds of thousands of IoT devices that are already deployed in the healthcare industry. So the article talks about how there's already, you know, quite a few devices that have already been deployed into areas such as intensive care facilities, operating rooms, and patient care networks. So there, you know, is, is as far as it goes with healthcare and IoT, you know, given that they've deployed, you know, tens of thousands of devices already, and a lot of times healthcare is behind the curve when it comes to security, um, I think it's a valid concern as far as um, the healthcare industry being attacked by cyber criminals. So anyway, so it's a pretty inter inter interesting read, um, talking about the kind of the um, issues um, around IoT security and how that applies to all of these hundreds of thousands of devices already, already deployed in the healthcare field. And then finally, under IoT, we have a story about what is being claimed as the first malware to attack industrial control safety systems. And apparently this particular piece of malware has three different name variations. So it could either be Triton, Trisis, or a Hatman malware. And obviously, if it's attacking industrial control safety systems, there's the chance that they could disable these safety systems and cause, you know, wreak all kinds of havoc. So um, anyway, um, interesting story on what they're claiming to be the first malware to attack ICS. So, yeah, I guess that's uh, like we mentioned with healthcare um, and IoT devices in that area. Um, looks like... Um, you know, ICS is another um, rich area, rich tar or target rich environment uh, for malware. All right, so moving on to InfoSec. So the first story we have up under InfoSec is a U.S. bill called the Cloud Act. And essentially, um, according to the EFF, what it's allowing the, uh, governments to do is to do an end round around the Fourth Amendment. So there's already, and it has to do with surveillance of foreign data. And there's already bills out there for collecting where the NSA can collect foreign, um, you know, like foreign um, electronic communications. 
Um, something similar, you know, if they're connecting traffic over the internet, and they're collecting, you know, foreign traffic that might be flowing in and out of the U.S. But they can, in the in the act of collecting this, um, you know, foreign electronic surveillance, they can also kind of collect up U.S. citizen communications as well. So I think in the some of the other bills that are out there, in the event that they do this, they're not supposed to be able to use it to go after U.S. citizens um, unless they're, you know, unless it's something to do with terrorism or some imminent threat thing. But I think under the Cloud Act now, if they inadvertently collect U.S. citizen surveillance data while they're looking for foreign, you know, collecting foreign communications, then I think under the Cloud Act, they can actually, somebody can actually report that they've um, collected this and, you know, they think there's been a crime committed and they can actually report this and go after people now. So, you know, I haven't read the, I haven't done a deep dive into the whole Cloud Act thing, but um, if what the EF, EFF says is true, then this, this particular act sounds like it's actually a lot worse than some of the surveillance bills that are already out there. So, obviously, they're encouraging people to um, call the representatives and try to get this um, blocked or whatever. All right, so next up we have Prilex, which is a point-of-sale piece of malware. And apparently Prilex has been around for a while, but uh, for, you know, stealing credit card data. But it has apparently, given the um, rise of chip and pin credit cards in the U.S., I mean, chip and pin credit cards have been around for a while, quite a while outside the U.S., but now the U.S. is finally adopting them. Um, so in response to that, the Prilex malware has actually been adapted to target chip and PIN credit cards now, um, so they can use that data to duplicate cards. So, yeah. So our next story, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it because there's been tons of stories and opinions written on this whole thing already, but I'm sure you guys already have seen that CTS Labs released a report on a you know, a bunch of AMD vulnerabilities, and they only gave AMD 24 hours notice before they went public with the, the, the vulnerability disclosures. So, like I said, there's been plenty of opinions and, you know, speculation written about why they did this sort of thing. Um, but my opinion is the, you know, the whole, while the AMD vulnerabilities were actually real, and actually, just a side note, um, AMD is releasing firmware patches for these vulnerabilities, so it shouldn't be more than a few weeks before there are these particular vulnerabilities are fixed by AMD. But my opinion on this whole thing is that it was basically a publicity stunt. There were also some dubious motivations in regards to shorting the stock of AMD um, that were... Um, they had to do with another company that was working with CTS Labs. And, you know, one of the things that worries me about this, if if this were like 24 hours notice were to become a norm, is that companies would use litigation and legal tactics to suppress the release of vulnerabilities even more than they do now. And honestly, I couldn't blame them, especially if, you know, if researchers are only going to give them 24 hours to fix it. I mean, that's pretty unreasonable. There's no way anybody's going to, it'd be rare, the rare vulnerability that gets fixed in 24 hours. Now, some people will probably say, well, yeah, you know, the companies, they're not 
they're already not fixing things in a timely manner and maybe this is you know a tactic we need to do to make them fix it but again you know for something like chip vulnerabilities like amd or intel or something like that i mean obviously 24 hours they're not going to be able to fix vulnerabilities that are found in 24 hours so i think the more reasonable thing is to give these companies time to fix these vulnerabilities but again i'm just worried about um backlash from companies that are basically like all right well if you guys are going to do you know 24 hours notice then we're going to start throwing attorneys at at it and get these vulnerabilities suppressed so anyway um enough said about that one <clears throat> all right so the next story we've got up here again this is a huge story in regards to facebook it has the it has to do with the cambridge cambridge analytica um, um facebook data and it was like 50 million users that I think were affected in this particular, um, some people are calling it a data breach. Um, you know, maybe it was a misuse of Cambridge Analytics, Analytica's access to Facebook data. Who really knows because I think the story is ongoing. I think they were, Congress was trying to get Zuckerberg to actually testify in front of them and all that stuff. So anyway, um, the whole Facebook Cambridge Analytica story, well, obviously it's going to be ongoing for a while and will be interesting to follow. And then we have the story in regards to PayPal, where they released a list of over 600 companies. And yeah, you heard me right, 600 companies that they share customer data with. So that's just a little, yeah, I mean, a lot of times, you know, it's kind of expected that companies like PayPal and that sort of, you know, there's large companies like that, that they're going to be sharing some customer data with third parties, but you don't really expect it to be 600 companies. So, yeah, I don't know. People who are worried about, you know, their data getting compromised by hackers or whatever, um, honestly, you might need to be worried more about companies like PayPal who um, either share customer data or, companies like the phone companies who sell whatever customer data they have. Um, but yeah, there's more chance of your data getting out through these, you know, um, agreements between companies and third parties where they either sell or share your customer data. So yeah, that's, uh, honestly, that's a little outrageous and really I can't, my personal opinion is I don't really like PayPal. Um, but a lot of times, depending on what you're trying to, if you're trying to buy something online, sometimes you don't have any choice. But, uh, yeah, that would definitely make me think twice about using PayPal when they're sharing that much, that much of my customer data. And then we have some ransomware called Xenus. And apparently its little twist is that not only does it encrypt your data, but it also deletes your backups. So that's fantastic. So normally the kind of the safeguard or backup plan, if you do get infected by ransomware, is to simply restore your backups. But apparently if you get infected with this particular ransomware, uh, there's a good chance it may delete your backups. So yeah, definitely be careful and watch out for that one. And then finally under InfoSec, apparently millions of Android phones came pre-installed with the rotten sys. That's Rotten, R-O-T-T-E-N-S-Y-S, Rotten Sys Malware, which was disguised as a system Wi-Fi service application. So it, it, infect, or it affected a handful of Android phone manufacturers. So it, affect, it affected Honor, Huawei, Xiaomi, 
probably not even saying that right. Oppo, Vivo, Samsung, and Genie, I guess. G-I-O-N-E-E. Haven't actually really heard of that brand. But anyway, um, yeah, if you bought an Android, Android phone lately from one of these manufacturers, then you probably want to make sure that you don't have any... Um, malware on there that's apparently disguised as a system Wi-Fi service application. So definitely check that out if you have one of those um, brands of phones. And finally, on to the technology section of the podcast. And we actually have some pretty interesting stories. And like I mentioned in the, the beginning of the podcast, steering wheels falling off. So this first story has to do with Ford. And you've got a Ford car, you definitely want to pay attention to this. I actually didn't note what models it affected, but anyway, so Ford recalled 1.3 million cars because their steering wheels might fall off. So I would imagine if I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden my steering wheel comes off, that would be quite a surprise. But apparently, from what I what I remember um, reading the article, it has to do with some kind of bolt, um, I think in the steering column or something like that, which was coming loose. So yeah, I don't know what the deal was before there. I don't know if they cheaped out and put some cheap bolts in there or what, but uh, definitely if you've got a Ford, um, check that recall and make sure you're not affected or your steering wheel apparently could come off. And then um, the next story has to do with car makers, um, specifically Porsche and Bugatti, and they're actually using 3D printing to print parts for their cars. So they're printing parts like uh, brake calibers and calipers, and they're also printing parts um, that are rare or they can't find. Um, you know, like if they're restoring old vehicles and they can't, or nobody makes parts for those vehicles anymore, um, then they're using 3D printing. And I think, um, I think it was Bugatti that was doing the brake calipers, and they were actually 3D printing with titanium which I didn't actually realize you could do that, but apparently it makes the brake calibers, I think calipers about half the weight, I think if I remember right, of um, normal non-3D printed calipers. So yeah, pretty interesting there. And we have a story, a Bitcoin story, and this one's, this one's actually rather humorous to some in some aspects. So Platts, Plattsburgh, New York. So they passed an 18-month moratorium on Bitcoin mining. And a, the, apparently the reason why there's so many Bitcoin miners in this particular city is because they have cheap hydroelectric power. So and I think what I read was the, the normal uh, power rate is about $0.04, cents, which across the rest of the country, I think it's like $0.10 or $0.12 cents around, uh, uh, around $0.10 or $0.12. Cents. So... Four cents is quite a bit cheaper. So apparently what happened was because there's so more, so many Bitcoin mining operations in this particular city, the city went over its monthly allotment for hydroelectric power, which meant they ended up having to buy additional power off the market, which was substantially more expensive than what they normally get from the hydroelectric. And then all the resident residents' bills went up, you know, $100, $200 a month. So... Um, the city of Plattsburgh ended up passing an 18-month moratorium on Bitcoin mining. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see this more because there's plenty of other places that have cheap electricity and a lot of Bitcoin miners keep trying to, you know, obviously they want to maximize their profit, so they find the cheapest power they can find. And um, if you've read anything about Bitcoin, Bitcoin as a whole uses just a ton of electric power. 
so yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if there's any other um, stories that pop up like this where they're basically putting a halt on Bitcoin mining. And then this was an interesting story. Interesting story. China is going to start barring people with bad social credit from using planes and trains. So I think this whole social credit thing in China has been going on for a while, and there's speculation that this has already been going on. Where you know, if you have quote bad social credit, um, you won't be allowed to use certain services in China. So yeah, hopefully that's not something that. Uh, Anybody, anybody, any other countries think is cool because I definitely wouldn't want that kind of thing going on in the U.S. And then finally, just a wrap-up podcast. Um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, if anyone is interested in participating in the OWASP IoT project, um, again, we are working on revamping the top 10 list we currently have. So we have a uh, channel on Slack. So if you go to the primary OWASP, Slack channel, and then, you know, pound IoT dash security, um, you'll find all the folks who have joined up there. And then the other thing I'll just mention if, and I've done this once in the past, um, this particular activity, if you happen to live in an area where there are, and you like cars, obviously, if, if you live in an area where um, exotic car racing or driving is available, then I would definitely do that. Um, one of the things I did was drive a McLaren 570S around the Miami Speedway. And in the past, um, I had driven a Lamborghini uh, back when Disney in Orlando was, they had the um, driving experience there. They don't have that any longer. Um, and um, if you remember the story, actually somebody got actually got killed driving the Lamborghini there, uh, but they were going to close it anyway at Disney. But anyway, Again, if you have the chance to drive an exotic car around a speedway like Miami Speedway or some other city, um, it's definitely something to um, to take part in because it's uh, actually really pretty cool. All right, so that is the podcast this week. Um, just as a reminder, uh, when I talk about these stories, if you're looking for the links of these stories the or the show notes, um, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter or you can just simply go to craigsmith.net. And there's a page on there that has all the past two newsletters and all the links to the articles that we talk about in the podcast. Um, so, all right, so that's that. That's that for this week. Um, again, you can, if you need to reach me, I can be reached on the Twitters at, at CraigZ28. If you want to email me, podcast at iotthisweek.com. Um, but otherwise, that is a podcast for this week. So have a great rest of the week, guys. Talk to you next week.